We're also, as you're aware, the event partner with the FPA, and that is our next session. As you can see, Dante Degori is on stage with Matthew Smith, and we'll welcome your questions. G'day, Dante. How you going, Matt? Yeah, very good, very good. Um, thanks for being here, and thanks for partnering as well. No, thank you. I just want to make that, uh, uh, just thank you for Colin and the team uh, for having us here, and uh, it's great to partner this event, and you know, we, we plan to be here for a while, so. Um. Yeah, great. Look, uh, a lot of um, the, the big um, uh, point on the word cloud yesterday and a lot of the conversation around mm. the traps have, has obviously been this idea of a single voice um, and representation. Yep. Um, and it's come up a lot yesterday. I know you were at the sessions. What's your view on the single voice and representation? Yeah, look, I think uh, I, I know where it comes from and I understand the, the premise of it. Um, I mean, the simple answer is everyone just becomes a member of the FPA. Um, <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, I was meant to be a joke, but anyway, there you go. Um, the, uh, look, the reality is to actually My have... My jokes have been falling flat. Yeah, yeah I'd, it's a tough crowd. Um, the reality is the, uh, you know, there is elements of what we can do to be united um, on particular issues, but to say there's going to be only one voice uh, is, you know, I think, quite a difficult task, and I think many of you will realise that um, that that is not really possible. Um, there's always going to be nuances and differences in terms of what uh, each of us all need and want. But in reality, there are probably, I think we could probably come together on, let's say, the top five you know, issues, or, or especially in a, from a principal perspective, are things that we want sorted out. And you know, we've had already discussions around that. I mean, there's uh, the regulation, the regulatory environment is a mess. Um, so you know, there are things that I think we could put on a sheet of paper and say here are the top you know, four or five things, do we all agree is that's our primary focus? It doesn't mean that there aren't specific issues and other things that each organisation or each sector or each part of the sector um, needs to deal with or wants to um, you know, promote to government on their own. But in terms of those high level, big picture, uh, true reform pieces of the profession, I think there's an opportunity to come together yeah. and get some consensus. And what does that mean in practicality? Is that um, associations kind of meeting more often or some mergers in that regard? Well, it could be a combination of those things. Um, but I think the, uh, you know, you, you, not, you can't just have one entity uh, all up, but I think what you can have and what we've tried to do definitely in the association space is work a lot more collaboratively with the other associations. And we will go to Canberra and we'll go there together. What we haven't done is now brought in the bigger uh, part of the, uh, of of the profession, which is the the, um, the licensees, and sort of say, well, how do we do that as as uh, do that jointly? And I'm not saying we all go trip down to Canberra together like this, but what you can do is you can have, as I said, some type of um, consensus on on you know, like I said, two, three, four, five issues, and co-sign them as an example, um, and and back those and say this is something that we want to uh, we all agree with in terms of the direction. Now, we're probably all going to argue about the how, too, how to get there. Um, but the idea is you want to put in place um, you know, the, the end point. What is it we're trying to achieve? What are, what are the things that we want to change that we do agree on? Uh, and, and how do we get there? Yeah. So you made a bit of an impact about a year ago. Um, you put out your five-year plan. And with this group in particular, um, your, um, your, th your plan in relation to or your thoughts around kind of licensee model was quite controversial, yep. I think, with yep. this group. Do you want to maybe talk about that and where yeah. and, and what is still left on your five-year plan you're going to 
work on? Yeah, a lot still. Um, it's left. Um, but no, it is a, and I suppose to, to start with, I, I, you know, I need to probably position this. The FPA, so what is the FPA here for? I mean, at the end of the day, we don't run a financial services business, we don't give advice, but we're here representing the interests of the, of the planning profession, or the Financial Planning Association. So our job is to look at the interests of the profession, to evolve it, you know, help create it, to evolve it, to foster it, support it, but also to continue, you know, the direction, where should it go? Um, I think for too long we have been uh, reactive. We have been reactive to, you know, something's happened, there's been a scandal, there's an inquiry, and then there's reform. Uh, some of that is necessary, has been, but how do we take direction of our future? Uh, how do we take direction of where we want the future to go? And from the FPA's perspective, we're looking at, a, a, from a particular lens, and the lens is the continuing evolution of professionalising the practice of financial planning. And there are elements there that are happening already. The education standards are a critical part of that. Um, and they, and they, you know, they were born over 10 years ago in terms of this need. Um, getting people qualified and trained. If you want to be deemed as a professional, you need to have tertiary qualifications. Um, you, have to have, you have to abide by a code of ethics. So those elements are coming in. But there's a critical element that still remains in our wider industry that isn't part of a profession. And that is the way in which one, an advisor, actually becomes, um, well, licensed is the word that we use here, but uh, we're using registered. You know, how does an advisor become an advisor? Um, and in other professions, there is an independent third, third party that appoints or anoints or licenses that individual practice, uh, that practitioner. Mm -hmm. And so that's a key element that we're looking to change. I think everyone's got a lot carried away about that means everyone's going to get self-licensed. And we're not... I and mean, we can do that today. There's no way in the world we're promoting everyone to go get their own licence. So be very clear. Well, that's not what we're doing. I think individual registration is different from... It is different. Yeah. One is carrying, a f carrying on a business. One is being able to practice. Yeah. Right? So you've got a practitioner. And, we're, and I just want to focus on this for a second, Matt. This is about how a practitioner, how an individual becomes a practitioner. So at the moment, everyone in this room has the obligation... Okay, it's an obligation on you to make sure that person is uh, trained, qualified, competent, fit and proper. And it's also your obligation to ensure they continue their education and training. Um, why should that be the responsibility of anyone else but the individual, in our opinion? Yeah. Um, and so, what we're so one of the key tenors of what we're trying to do is to say that the individual advisor, um, you can still impose standards on that advisor, you can still impose, impose uh, employment conditions on that advisor when he or she joins your firm to practice, but their ability to be able to practice should be theirs or done independently by a third party, in our opinion, as opposed to each different licensee. Sure, and, you, and would you be that party that independently... Well, we've suggested that the single disciplinary body could play that role. Yep. I mean, you've got to register them anyway. Yep. And so this is the other element to it, and, and this is why it's important to look at our policy plan as a, as a plan. It's not one piece. Mm -hmm. Everyone's concentrating on the uh, licensing aspect of it, but that on its own doesn't fix anything, really. But that's, well, it's being focused on because that's the part you leak to the press to get to them. That's, that's the part that the, the <laughs> press, that's the part that the press gets excited about, and that's the part that the press want to talk about. Yeah. Um, and so as a result of that, I mean, you know, that is a core focus, so don't get me wrong. But um, what we're trying to do, it's part of a suite of things. So we've got five key pillars of our platform. Regulation. 
And we heard a lot about that over the last couple of days. I loved the session uh, by the judge uh, yesterday because we've all thought it uh, and we've sort of now got some evidence that suggests that the Corporations Act is unworkable, Chapter 7. And yes, I would throw it out, Pamela. Um, I would throw out Chapter 7 and start again. Um, also, you know, with, so regulation's ineffective, it's not efficient, there's duplication. Um, we're going to get this single disciplinary body with the requirement to register is duplication. Everyone in this room has already authorised an advisor. That advisor now has to register. So why are we doing that twice? Well, it, because there's kind of a parallel system happening at the same time, right? How does that make sense to anyone? Well, my, so my point is there is duplication in the system. Yep. So one of our key pillars is our regulation reform. You need, you, so it's not about not having regulation, it's about effective regulation. Yep. So, you know, the other, the other tenors are we're looking at um, issues of technology, issues of cost, and issues of client protection. So although they're, the, they're the five pillars in which our policy platform, and there are 19 recommendations across the board there. So it's a suite. It's a, it's, a, it's a full picture and it's not one thing alone. If we don't, if we don't consider all of that, um, then you know, we're still going to fail in different parts. Yeah. I'll, I'll come back to you in a second to, to ask what are maybe the top two or three things sure. that perhaps could come from those pillars. But yeah, th there was a bit of a sliding door moment for, for you guys, I suppose, <laughs> when you put forward the Code Monitoring Australia yeah. uh, and suggested that uh, you know, the FPA and some other organisations could be well-placed to, to be the code monitoring, and then Treasury or, or the government minister came back and said, well, actually, no, we're not going to allow you to do that. What, what was your view on, you know, if, if they decided to go down that path, obviously that would have put the FPA and those other organisations in a position of, um, I, I suppose, a more professional association in that you would um, be responsible for perhaps, um, you know, um, striking off advisors, you know, from registers and so forth. Now that hasn't happened. Yep. Um, has the government gone down the right path? And, and what's your view on, on, on where it's ended up? Um, so the question is, uh, has, have they gone the right path? And what's my view end up? Well, that's, a, that's, you know, I suppose time will tell um, in terms of the, the setup. I mean, we did support um, a single disciplinary body. Um, and, and I have to stress the point that we support... What we did support from the Commission um, was that our current disciplinary structure is not cohesive, right? I mean, you've got the FPA doing something, you've got licensees having their obligation responsibility, you've got ASIC, and then you've also got, on the side from a compensation perspective, you've got AFCA as well. Um, the Commissioner, you know, realised or had identified that there isn't... No-one talks to each other, right? So FPA can ban someone, but that person can still go and then find a licensee of hire and, and, and go work there. So the idea was to have a single disciplinary process that nobody can escape and, and uh, once you go through that process, you know, you, you can't sort of hide. Um, so we support that principle. Is it truly single? That's a question mark. Right. I don't think it is. Right. Uh, not yet. Um, it's not truly single. Um, so will it work? Well, we just heard from um, Danielle and, and you identified. Was there any extra funding allocated to the, the regulator to do this? Um, you know, it's... My memory's a little bit hazy now when we're looking at the CMA project, but you know, we're looking at you know, needing at least sort of 20 odd million to get that, that going um, and to run, because, um, which, is, which is quite, you know, quite interesting. But the expectation on, on the Code Monitoring Australia was going to be complete um, proactive surveillance and supervision of, um, of advisors um, you know, with licensees assistance, but the obligation for us to be uh, given 
the approval was that we had to do that. Mm. That's not the model that's being proposed yep. by government. So it was, it was quite interesting then to hear mm. Danielle say, well, we're actually not funded to do this. Exactly. So you asked the question, will it be successful? Well, we'll see. But uh, without any funding, um, I you know, have some grave concerns. Yeah, that's no, interesting. Can, can you be a representative body and a professional association all at once? Um, I think so, yes. Yeah. I mean, the accounting bodies do it, um, as an example. I mean, you, we're, we're a professional body which requires to represent the profession. So I think when you talk about representation, this is the nuance for us. Um, you know, people, and we do have members, and we've got members here who will say, and we have been uh, asked sometimes, you know, are you representing my interests? And the reality is with, you know, 13,000 individuals, you can't represent 13,000 different individual interests. What our role is to represent the interests of the planning profession. Yeah. What's, in, what's in the best interest for, a, 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 for the profession to evolve and thrive? And also, how do we ensure that the Australian public gets access to quality financial planning? Yeah. And so that's what we're representing. And a lot of the elements that we find troublesome, annoying in the system, such as FDSs and things like that that are happening, that all impacts on the ability for a financial planner to actually give advice. Because we're caring about whether they complete an FDS on time or not. What's that got to do with the advice they actually give? So it does impact the ability for consumers to get access to advice yeah. and also increases the cost. So that's, that is an area that we have concern with. I'll open to questions in a moment, so please get them ready. Um, I was interested to see the FSC's um, Future of Advice report. Um, and I brought up earlier in, in the day about you know the, how the FSC is funded, which is you know not through advisors but through institutions. And I was curious to see them own that um, future of advice report. Did you work with them on that? And do you think perhaps there's an opportunity for for advisors themselves to to pr provide that kind of roadmap? Um, so, firstly, the FSC is their own organisation and body, and and you know they they can do as they, as they wish, and they do, um, I think, have a wide remit of membership, um, including some of the people in this room might be members here as well. Um, they did tell us about the fact they were doing this proposal, and, um, and you know, when they've invited us to participate in the consultation, uh, they've got a green paper at the moment, and I spoke, about the, I spoke at their um, event when they released the Rice Warner. So we have been involved from that perspective, yep. um, and we would encourage, you know, especially this group, to, to feedback. Um, in particular with the report, I mean, my only comment would be in terms of the signature piece around simple and complex, that's not something that we believe can happen. We don't think that, we, we understand the concept, but we don't think that's the solution. Yep. Um, but, you know, what I would encourage and what I do welcome is the, is the fact that we're debating it. And so I do welcome the fact that uh, other groups are putting out ideas and suggestions for us to debate and, and discuss. Um, and that's the whole point here. If we don't talk about this and we don't face into options, then we're going to stand still. I mean, even the FPA policy platform, you know, the idea there is to have a vision, you know, and we're not saying that it's exactly right, but we're putting out a vision. We're saying we need to move from where we are. I mean, if anyone in this room puts up their hand and says the status quo is what they want to be in, I'll, I'll leave today. I mean, I think the, the, the current structure um, and the current environment we're in is not what we want to be in. We are, we are transforming, um, but we should have, we should own where we want to go. And so therefore I welcome um, ideas and suggestions and all we can do is just contribute to that. Yeah, and just on that simple and complex, mm. 
Did you want to delve further into that? What do you think that well, my, advice should be separated? As uh, yeah, oh, look, I'm glad you raised that as well. So I mean, fundamentally, you know, one of the key tenets of our platform is separation of product and advice. Yep. Now, we, I've heard everyone in this room say this a few times. Um, but then if we start asking what you mean by separation of product and advice, I'd love to hear everyone's opinions. Um, and we heard Renato talk about it last night as well. You know, and I think, I think we have to be pragmatic about what that means. But I'll go back, you know, when FSR was set up and, and, uh, and Wallace Inquiry and Clerp 6, some of my reading from that, there was no expectation that product manufacturers or product would actually own advice businesses. Um, there was, you know, advisors or licensees, principals, were genuinely seen to be the agent, the, uh, the, the intermediary between products How and consumers. We? <laughs> well, not we, it was, <laughs> it was them. Um, but, um, you know, that, 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 was, that was the idea. And so much has changed, you know, obviously so much has happened. The current arrangements, financial services, uh, the FSRA and the current uh, regime isn't fit for the current environment. And so separation of product advice. And Pamela raised the question about, well, what else, you know, in addition to financial product advice, I would frame it differently. Financial advice needs to be defined. So you give advice, which could include the recommendation or advice on a product. Yep. Uh, so I, I see it as separating out in the fact that you choose, you become uh, the legislation, the regulation should cover and regulate advice, financial advice, and that should be defined, which could include product recommendations and a whole other things. And this is how you bring in the money coaches, et cetera, because I think there is a place for consumers to get simple budgeting and cash flow advice. Um, but I don't want it done in an unlicensed, unregulated community. They should come into the regime. But why the hell would you come into this regime yep. if you don't change it? Yep. Any questions in the room, please? Thoughts? Over here. Uh, Dante, Paul, Hattie Davis, uh, thank you for that. Um, Amongst the fact that you and I, you know that I vehemently agree that we've got to look five to ten years out at the lens of other professions and work towards that. Mm. And other professions, and I completely agree, the individual is admitted to the profession, that would be my word. Yes. And it's great, we've got barriers to entry now that align very closely to the, I know the New South Wales Law, um, law Society and the way they would uh, go through uh, putting a lawyer on. But uh, I wonder if there isn't value in, in, in terms of um, some of the standards. Um, the accounting bodies have, have three major bodies and a range of uh, minor ones. And they form the JAB, the Joint Accountancy Body. Yep. And they are the group that work together across the different associations to set standards. And I've long thought that our own JAB um, would be really a valuable thing with, say, the FDA, the AFA, INSPAR, sorry, SMSF Association. Um, and maybe the FSC, that you, you, we can start to drive some commonality and that's one dimension of a common voice because we would be mm. agreeing common standards. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, look, and I agree. I mean, part, again, one of the, one of the requirements in, or recommendations in our policy platform is standardising um, the or, 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 yeah, single interpretation of the standards. And, um, and I think that is a job for the FPA as a professional body, um, along with the others, to, uh, to bring and to provide um, um, clarity. You know, we, that's a role that we could play. So rather than each licensee, but I mean, this, again, goes back to the system. You have the legal obligation, right? So of course you have to, you know, you have to satisfy yourselves. But the, in a, an ideal utopia scenario, uh, the FPA and other professional bodies should come to an agreement on what the interpretation of the standards are 
um, and should collectively either on their own or via a, 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 an organisation like the uh, Apes Board um, have, have oversight of those standards. I mean, I, I don't know about how people feel in this room and no disrespect to the Treasury officials here, but there's no way I think it's in our long-term interest for the Minister to own the standards. Uh, and, you know, we get along great with Jane Hume and, she, you know, and she's fantastic while she's the Minister, but we could have anyone post the election, uh, either side of government, we could have a different government, um, we could be at the whim of that individual minister. So I think in, it's our long-term interest to take back those standards. Uh, how we do that, the structure it comes in, that's all up for debate and discussion. Um, but do you think the industry's earned the right to do that? Well, we're going through a lot of transformation now, and I, you know, one of the things that I say to people is that once the FASEA standards are done, uh, once the Royal Commission implement, uh, re recommendations are implemented, it's very hard not to back and to say that the industry hasn't done what it needs to, to prove itself. Um, if, if, if government regulators can't uh, be confident in what they've put in place in their own reforms to say that the, you know, that the profession now is ready, then when will it ever be? Yep. Any other questions? I think there's one here. Hi, Dentag Lenga. I um, didn't get the chance to ask Danielle, um, but my question's back actually around the FPA and other industry bodies. I feel like there's a lot of advocacy and somewhat of the consultation, but I don't hear that there's a lot of holding account. So we've seen 7% increase in levies on uh, advice businesses um, with the new recovery models post um, the 160%. 160%, yeah. 33% linking into ATO costs, 17% across the board mm. on other areas. Um, yet, you know, she sat there and said, we don't have the resources now to actually go and do the work. So my question around the FPA and other industry bodies is it's one thing to be advocates and going out and trying to do this, but who's actually holding them account if they're reducing those regulations, increasing costs, mm. but not providing the services back? Um, where do you see it stand? Well, I think we all have we all have an obligation to hold them to account. Um, so I agree, and I think that is part of our role as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, this group, this this people, a group of people here, are individually meant to be serviced by ASIC. Uh, you are physically paying the levy, and we've you know we've uh, if you've you know if you've seen some of the um, stuff we've put out in recent times, we are arguing um, against the not so much the levy. There needs to be a levy cost recovery. I mean that that's. That's the, um, the way this government is funding its agencies. But the levy and the structure of the levy, the formula of the levy doesn't work. It was set up, you know, the formula was set up five odd years ago. Um, the market has shifted dramatic, dramatically since. Even the way ASIC, um, ASIC apportions its costs and how it decides which costs go to the financial planning advisor levy. We have serious concerns with the way it's done. We don't think it's equitable. Um, we don't think it's fair and it needs to be reviewed. So we, we, are, you know, we are pushing back, not just on ASIC. So I think you're right, ASIC should be held accountable for what it does, but they don't control the formula. And that, that's, a, that's what we're pushing back on government to say, review, review the formula. And again, a pitch here to everyone. We have our, you know, we would be encouraging everyone here to make that representation. Uh, we've got time for two more questions and then I want to wrap up as well. So one over here, table eight. Uh, Christoph Schnelle from FDA. I'm over here. Oh, sorry. The guy in the green pullover. Um, we spoke yesterday, and the historical perspective is perhaps interesting. In the 17th century, lawyers openly bragged about ripping off their clients. 
Today, it's the Law Society who regulates more than 20,000 solicitors, the Law Society of New South Wales alone. So we're on a similar path, maybe hopefully not 200 years. But we know the end game. The end game is self-regulation. And it is, I cannot really see any alternative to the FPA becoming the predecessor of the equivalent of the Law Society for Financial Advisors. Because if it's not the FPA, I think we're in for a lot more trouble. I'll take that as a comment. But also, what I would say is that, I mean, you raised a good point. I think the question asked by the judge yesterday about be careful what you wish for in terms of do you want to be a fiduciary? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here right here telling you as the, as, as the FPA, I think it is absolutely our goal that our financial planners are seen as fiduciaries. I think there's no way the trust and confidence in giving financial advice to households and mum and dads works if you are not a fiduciary. Uh, table six. Vince, Vincent Holland, Pluto Software. Uh, the cost to serve clients and the, the inefficiencies in the advice process is not, a, it's not an issue that's just come up. It's been around for a, for a long, long time. And technology is, is a key part of making advice more efficient. The difficulty we see is, is not the technology or the lack of it. It's the regulatory landscape which makes um, decision makers risk risk averse so whilst the technology is there it's the, the regulation doesn't encourage or, or incentivize innovation yet that's a key part of delivering better consumer outcomes do you have any thoughts or views on sort of how new how that regulatory framework could could better facilitate innovation it's a good question, and yes, I agree. I think you know there's a there's a reason why I think a lot of the U.S. you know fintechs etc. you know haven't been able to crack it here, and I know they're still trying. Um, and part of it is because of our regulatory regime. Um, it is um, it is difficult um, and complicated and costly. So I suppose the only thing I can say to answer that um, in in a, in a way that might make sense uh, to me is that you need to rethink the regulatory environment. Um, there is no, there's definitely nothing that stops technology being used. But of course, I suppose maybe the, the way in which the technology is to be used doesn't work or doesn't fit in terms of the way the regulatory environment requires. Or is it a question that when technology providers are working with different licensees, that the licensee expectation and standards you know, are, are quite robust, that technology providers are struggling to do that? I, I don't know, um, but there is a barrier um, but there's also an issue where I think, um, you know, we need to probably um, be clear on what type of things we want technology to do. Because obviously, if you're looking at purely, you know, fintech uh, advice delivery, it is really at this point in time a process to match a consumer with a product. But I think what you're talking about is the provision of advice within a financial planning practice and how to deliver that more efficiently. And I think you've already created efficiencies under the current uh, regulatory environment. If we were to, you know, if we were to redo Chapter Seven, or if we were to at least even uh, separate this issue of product and advice, would that create that um, that ability for you to uh, to bring in technology? Uh, I don't know. So Dante, can I just I can't step over this. Uh, it con really concerns me that that uh, all industry associations have lost their credibility in Canberra, uh, and. Is that 
That's your opinion? That's my opinion, yeah. Uh, and that's the opinion of ministers and opposition ministers that I've spoken with. FFC doing your industry, your association's work, only amplifies that there's a sales culture intention still with the membership of the FPA, sorry, of the, of the FFC. Don't you see that as massively undermining the professionalism ambition of the FBA? Well, I think that clearly identifies their, their interest. So um, I'm not sure what the question is. I can't stop an FSC or anyone else putting out their own position papers. Um, that's, that's their broad. We don't control what the FSC do. We've already put out a roadmap, uh, and we know that the, we know there are many interested parties in Canberra in terms of what we've put forward. So with respect, I'm not sure what the exact question is there. I realise you can't run the agenda of the FFC, but there seems to be uh, there's damage done by the FFC doing There's also that damage done by Peter Johnson. I mean, you know, uh, the, you know so the one criticism we get is not the FSC's doing the wrong thing. The FSC's putting forward the, the issue we've got is someone like Peter Johnson trying to write, run high court decisions and threaten, you know, threaten ministers for losing their uh, electorate in the next election. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're competing amongst ourselves. And again, I, you know, I'd love to be able to control everything, but I can't. I know a lot of our members wish I could. But I can't. Um, and it's not just that. I mean, we have also, you know, Daniel Bramwell, who's part of the independent group. I mean, you know, we had to fight off a, 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 an, uh, an asset-based asset fee um, um, uh, amendment in respect to a piece of legislation because that came from within the sector. So we are fighting within ourselves. Uh, there are fringes within our own profession that have their own interests. Um, and I wish I could make them go away, Colin, but I can't. Um, to be frank, it's probably people in this room and the advisors themselves that have to make that decision as who they want to support. Mm. Just making a point to the room, it was very unhelpful that happened by the FFC to the ambition of this becoming a profession and distinguishing selling products from an advice profession. I don't disagree, and we've made that point clear, but as I said, I can't stop them doing that. Okay, last question from Tom. Uh, Tom Redford. Vontae, the supply of advisors is anemic at the mm. moment, and for the licensees, the, the cost and complexity of bringing someone through the professional year is a, is a really difficult issue. Do you have a plan um, where collaboratively the licensees and the FPA could work together to improve the supply of professionals coming in to financial planning? Yeah, good, good question, Tom. It absolutely is. I mean, the, the one thing that keeps me up at night is where's, where's the next financial planner going to come from? Where are they coming from? So two things there. One is that the FPA does do a lot of work and invests a lot of money in the university and the student space. And that's something that will continue. As you probably also saw, we've just received, awarded us um, a 1.5 million grant in respect to supporting women uh, into the financial planning profession. So we'll, we'll, we'll put that to good use as well. Um, but secondary to that, of course, is the facilitation of the PY program, which I think the one feedback we're getting from quite a, uh, quite a number of uh, businesses, particularly the smaller ones, is the ability to facilitate PY. Um, so what we have done and what we are doing is invest investing in the infrastructure to be able to then have the platform in which um, a PY program can be run and that can be used. Um, but we're also open to how else we can assist. Um, you know, what is it that this group needs in order to be able to facilitate the PY and we'd be happy to co-partner and uh, in that particular endeavour because for us it's it's in everyone's interest here that we facilitate more people coming into the profession. We shouldn't just rely, I mean IWF will probably do a big hand, AMP will probably do a big hand in this over a period of time but we can't just rely on those uh, institutions. We need to have this 
program embedded in quite a number of different businesses. I don't expect all businesses to do it, so I think that's not practical either, but how do we uh, assist and support? Thanks very much, Dante, for your openness. Um, oh, just one last thing. I mean, what are the top kind of two or three things um, that um, you can do for the advice industry to um, propel it forward? So, Well, the main thing that we can do is continue to support. Tax um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, high level, you know, continue to support the profession, continue to um, advocate that the profession is changing and doing the right thing. There are elements like tax operability of advice, ATO portal access, in particular, uh, consumer data rights in, in respect to having that available and for including superannuation. Um, so, you know, and also with this single disciplinary body issue as well, making sure that it becomes a single disciplinary body. So the agenda's big. It's large, um, but there's a few things there that I think could help and assist immediately if we could get done. How far off is tax deductibility? Well, I mean, I was you know, hopeful that we could say a little bit more about it today, but we can't. I'm, I'm hoping in the next few months we can talk a little bit more about what we're doing there. Um, we haven't stood still on this one. We've actually proactively um, put a project together over the last uh, 18 months to consider options, and we think we have a pathway, um, but um, yeah. Um, more to come on that one, unfortunately. Thanks for your openness and generosity, um, everyone. Dante Degori. Great, thank you. <laughs> I, I should take this one. <laughs>